Welcome to another impactful message from Cornerstone Church, where we truly believe there is one hope for every heart, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or view video of this sermon, visit us online at cornerstonerome.com. Soul what? That's what we named this series, and we titled this. We're going to get into the soul a little bit uh, as we go forward, but today I just want to qualify and give context to why I'm doing this. And if you're a Christian, uh, to maybe dispel some myths that maybe you have in Christianity, okay? So uh, we're going to cover, I did this, and you can get a more in-depth, I'm not going to do it in the same way, you get more depth. Last year I did a message when we did the book of Thessalonians, our first and second Thessalonians, get a little more context there, but today I'm, I'm not, I'm going to focus more as we get into the soul, but I do need to, I need to clarify the difference in who you are as a believer, as, as God created you, Okay. So I'm going to throw a little story with you this week. <clears throat> I was, uh, <clears throat> I, I, I get the privilege to be one of the two chaplains for the city uh, police department. And so I get to um, have the privilege of being a part of some of the men's lives and women's lives there just talking. And, you know, they go through a lot of things. And, and contrary to what you see on, on the videos and this and that and the other, you know, if you talk to a good officer, they will tell you uh, they don't want bad apples in the force either. They hate it when they see things that go against what they stand for. And so... Uh, Whatever you see, just like in everything, preachers hate it when there's bad apples in the preaching business. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't like it when there's weirdos in church. It gives us all bad names, right? So it's good to get rid of the people that's no good. And um, anyway, so, but these guys are, they're great. The majority of the staff, they're, they're believers, and, which is a really big deal. Uh, it's a really big deal. So I saw this one guy, and he's telling me this story. He said, hey, he said, man, let me tell you how the Lord works. And I'm not, I can't tell you his name or anything like that, but um, he's just a great guy, great guy. And he said, one day I was going, and usually when I would run in, in a suspicious place or I got a call out to be somewhere, he said, I go out there, and <clears throat> when I get there, he said, I have a certain way I approach a facility. I'm going to tell you that. I just want to just, he has a certain way he approaches a facility. And the reason why he does that is because of the way you know, if he's a right-hander or a left-hander, it makes a difference in which side his weapons are on and those kinds of things. So he approaches this facility. As he's approaching the facility, as he always does, he goes this one side. And instead of going that side, all of a sudden he gets this gut, he calls it a gut feeling, that says, don't go that way, go the other way. So he's sitting there at the corner of the building about to just go the way he always is because he's what? He's comfortable with it. He's done it many times, so he's about to go. Instead, the gut is saying, no. So he stops. He says, Jody, I just thought, man, I'm going to go the other way. He goes the other way around the back side of the building, and there on the side he normally goes, he comes up behind him. There was a guy waiting with a weapon, and he said he would have got me. There's no way I would have seen him. Now, let me ask you a question. Is, is that, do you think that was his mind's intuition helping him out in that moment? Do you think that was his body saying, ooh, we got the goosebumps now, you better listen to it? Where did that come from? The Holy Spirit and his spirit. Now, we call it this, and people everywhere, I am a firm believer in this. Now, this gets kind of, okay, but just hang on. I think more people might have been saved than they realize it. I don't think that everybody is a mature believer. 
But isn't it funny how so many people will tell you they had this gut feeling about something and, and, and they blankety blank, blankety blank, 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 you've heard them, but they say, I had this gut feeling something was wrong, and they listened to it and it worked out. Now, you can't tell me either one of two things is going on. Either maybe they were saved and they just haven't matured in their faith, or maybe it's just their spirit is picking up on something. It's one of the two. Now, I can't theologically get into all that right now. But I just want you to see the spiritual realm is real, and I'm not trying to be weird, but you all know what I'm talking about. Have you ever had a gut feeling? Raise your hand if you had a gut feeling. We all have. Now, how many times did you ignore the gut feeling and you paid for it? Raise your hand. Come on. Absolutely. I have done that more times, and I, why did I do that? Well, it's important you understand this belief first. And you can go back to the message I did on Thessalonians and hear more of this in context. But this statement will help you break this down. You, you're designed by God as a three-part being, all right? And it, in essence, this is what you are. You are a spirit. Uh, the Lord is the father of spirits. I'll show you more of that. In a but you are a spirit, that's it. You are a spirit. You have a soul, which is your mind, will, and your emotions. It's the, the psychological faculties of your life. All right? And you live inside a body. That is a statement that will carry you. And I'll read this from 1 Thessalonians. You can go back and read the, listen to the message later. <clears throat> but I'll put it on the screen for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Tell you what, why don't you all um, do this together? Why don't we read this together? All right? Save me a little bit of a moment. Let me get a drink of water, okay? One, two, ready? Let's read. Now. And may your. Very good. So Paul says, I pray your spirit, your soul, and your body. Be preserved blameless. Now, we can get into some of that in a moment. We'll talk about it, okay? But I'm going to bounce from, I know you're a spirit, but I'm going to bounce. I'm going to hit that next. I'm going to hit body first, then we'll hit spirit, then we'll hit soul, okay? I'm just briefly, this is just briefly. But let's look at your body, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, referring to your body, Paul says, do you not know, watch this, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? The Holy Spirit is in you, whom you have from God, <clears throat> and that you are not your own. So verse 20, then he says, here comes the, the context of Thessalonians here. He says, for you have been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus, therefore glorify God in your body. You want to know how your body gets preserved blameless before the Lord Jesus Christ? Glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. Now, you could take that in a number of different ways. For some people, little Debbie's is not a problem. Okay, <laughs> don't pick on people who eat little Debbie's, all right? Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm just fine. I have them in moderation. Leave me alone, all right? I'm not eating cucumbers and squash every day of my life. I'm going to have a little fun. <laughs> but now for some people, that's a big deal because they can't have that, and they know that. So you need to glorify God in your body in the way in which you need to glorify God in your body. Th- some of that there is discretion, I would say to you that when it comes over into the areas of sexual life, there are certain things God says how to glorify your body. There's non-negotiables. You don't get to pick and choose. 
Right? There are other things. When it comes to worshiping God, you don't get to pick and choose. He says, come and worship me. There's not a, there's not a, uh, let me think about it. No, glorify God in your body. Make your body get out of bed. Make your body get up and lift its hands and everything else it does. And all I can do is like, why is he referred to this like your body? The, the context of the statement alone, your body denotes that you're not a body. If I tell you, hey, listen, come with me and let's go get in my car or let's go get in your car. What are we going to do? We are, the sub, we are going to go get into the car. But is the car us? No. So it's obvious. Your body's not you. It's just not. And then Paul says things like, you know, uh, things I want to do, I don't want to do, things I do, I didn't want to do, things I did, didn't, blah, blah, blah. He gets in all this context. He's referring to this, this frustration that he had before Christ. He's not saying right now. This whole idea that as a Christian, once you're born again, you have no control of your body is foolishness. I promise you, I promise you, you have control. I promise, 100%, you have control. Guarantee. You know, when I take you, if I took you to Six Flags where my kids want to go, we went there over the Christmas breaks, sometime in when it was warm. We go there, there's this huge thing, and I, thank God it was closed, called, uh, <laughs> which I used to ride all this, it never bothered me. But I always mess it up. It's not the fear of spiders. It's the fear of heights. Acrophobia, thank you. Not arachnophobia. Either way, <laughs> hate them both. <laughs> but that thing is scary. And, you know, when it was open, and I did want to ride it when I was younger, my body didn't be like, oh, we're just going to ride it. Yay. No, I wanted to ride it. And my body had no discussion about the matter when it was closed. I, myself, was going, <laughs> yes. It's closed. My body, no matter what it wants to, your body is like, if you can imagine this, between your soul and your spirit, your body is, is, is somewhat in the middle. It really has no, it wants to have a voice, it has flesh, and it'll try. But if you can ever get your soul and your spirit to line up, your body will just follow in. It really has no, it's just, it's a follower. It can't lead anything. So your body, you're not a body, but you got a body, Okay. Now watch this. We're going to transition now a little bit, but listen to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground. Now there's probably a message in all that. I don't know, ladies, but anyway, just realize if he formed us from dust, he made you out of us, so we're all a little dirt, okay? I mean, just somewhere in there, pick your dirt, you're part of it. But he says... He, he made the man of dust from the ground. Now, before we go any further, I just want you to understand, he formed, one translation, he said he formed man. Now, he didn't have a little, you know, red clay and just making little man, you know, out of the mud and looked at him. He formed man out of the dust of the ground, and there's a body laying there on the ground. Not dirt, it's now a body. He formed man out of the dirt from the ground, but he's now a body. That body sitting there, laying there, it's lifeless. The eyes are not open. There is no heartbeat. There's nothing taking place. But then the Lord, it says, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of God. And what this means is are the breath of life. It means shama. It means divine life. And then man <gasps> became a living being. Without the spirit 
the body cannot live. It's impossible to live. And we have technology, I know, today, and we have all these different things today, and we've all been there. Listen, I've been, I've been about the hospital so many times, and you've all had to be a part of this before. But, you know, there's so many times when you, you have someone, and they're sitting there on a machine, and they've been on that thing for months and months and months. And you can debate this, and it, I could get into different things with you, but I'm just telling you. Sometimes I've told them, I was like, you know what? They're gone. That machine's keeping that body going, but they checked out a while back. How you know that, Pastor? You can just, you can just tell. I've been in the room on the opposite side when people just are praying for them, and they're not on any machine, and they're flatlined, all of a sudden, they come back. So I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen what happens when the spirit comes back, the body lives. Without the spirit, the body dies. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You can't live without the spirit physically in this world. So God did not make a body and put a soul into it like he put a letter into an envelope Rather, he formed man's body from the dust, and then by breathing divine breath into it, he made the body of dust live. Now, I use the word soul right there for a reason. Because this statement I took from a very secular resource, because the confusion between spirit and soul, the world likes to use the word soul. But they are wrong. The soul is not the spirit. And I'm going to show you a little bit further. So let's look at the spirit right here, okay? That is a secular statement I just gave you, but listen to this. As far as the spirit goes, it's not your body that's born again or your mind. It is your spirit, okay? So now watch this. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16, just a few verses later. It says, The Lord God commanded the man and saying, From any tree of the garden you might eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Now, when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, did their body die? No. Did their soul or their mind, their will and emotions, did that part of them die? No. Obviously, they became a little foolish because they decided to pick out of all the vegetation in the garden. Them rascals chose fig leaves. If you've never picked figs, let me tell you something. The Fruit of the Loom guys that's dressed up in fruit... There's not one I'm dressed up like a fig. <laughs> Find a fig tree this spring when they start blooming. Go in there with no shirt. No, go with short sleeves on. And pick you a basket of figs. See how that looks when you get done. It's, a, it's awful. It's rash and itchy and all that. I bet when they were done, you know, Eve was probably thinking, where did you get these from, Adam? <laughs> well, they was in the garden over there. But, but where, where did you get, these are fig, what were you thinking? I mean, there goes the first marital argument right there. What were you thinking? And what does every man say when a woman asks him, what were you thinking? I don't know. <laughs> and there it began right there. They died in their spirit. Which is why when Jesus came in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if any man be in Christ, or you could say this way, if any man is born again in Christ, he is now a new creation. Old things passed away because, watch, all things now have become new. Did you get a new body? No, I wish I did because right now mine ain't feeling great. So it would be nice. Did you get a new mind? No. If that was the case, you wouldn't have to study or renew your mind like the Bible tells us to. 
You've got a new spirit, which is why this is so important. The world will tell you that the soul is what's out there. Disney even has a movie called Soul. And it's all, it's funny, and it's a good movie, but it's not replicable when it comes to biblical-based or theology from the standpoint of who God is. I mean, they did the best they could, I think. They took some excerpts from Plato, some other things of Aristotle, some other things like that, and they tried to put it all together the best they could. But nonetheless, they're wrong. You're a spirit. You are a spirit, and you are born again of the spirit. And this is important to understand, too, that when you die, your mind will perish with your body. And some people think that's not true. It is true because your mind is an organ. It's an organ. People have tried to define different things. Well, is it this? Is it that? We don't know. It's this and whatever. And it's got different. It does have different, you know, actions. But your liver has actions. Your heart has an amazing actions. The heart is an amazing muscle. But the brain is, uh, from the standpoint, is an organ. It functions differently. And I'm not a medical guy. I just know from studying medical, you know, some research, it's, it's an organ. All right. So anyway, because many people think that when they die, when people die, that, that everybody, their whole person is just in the ground. And that's not true. Your brain, yes. Your body, yes. But your spirit, no. Listen, if God didn't leave Jesus in the ground, he surely will not leave you in the ground. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Contrast Scripture with Scripture. I know what Paul said. Hey, man, listen, you know, we will not all, <clears throat> we'll, either to alive and remain, we'll be caught up together with the, in the clouds with the Lord forever. All right? But those which are asleep will rise first. He's referring to the body. He's not referring to the spirit. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, spiritually. You're going to get a resurrected body one day, but it doesn't mean you're sitting in the dirt. I mean, all the rest of your life, like until Jesus comes. Imagine that. All the apostles still sticking in the dirt. And where's Jesus? I wish he'd come back. I mean, this is like, this is awful. That'd be terrible. That's not God. But your body cannot go to heaven without a resurrection. And when Jesus comes, he's going to resurrect your body. You can get a new one. It's going to be an amazing thing to see. All right. So anyway, you're a spirit and, and, and you have a soul, but you live in a body. Now let's go to the soul. This is the part we want to take a little time on here. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Listen to what Paul tells all of us. This is every Christian, no matter how long you've been serving Jesus, no matter how short you've been serving Jesus. He says this, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Pause. The world will, as a believer, the world will conform you to what it, it believes. And so as a believer, you don't have to be dogmatic or crazy or weird, but you just need to realize the world is aggressively working to conform you to its ways and methodologies. It is working very hard. I don't usually do this, but I just don't mind saying this to you. It's very frustrating right now for me. I'm, I, my kids, we all, we're a family. We love Disney. We love going to Disney World. I have enjoyed, I mean, as a kid, I didn't go... I think they, my grandmama said we went once. I don't remember it. But when I got older, the first time I went, I was like not maybe 17 or 18. I can't remember how old it was exactly. I thought this has got to be the coolest place ever. I mean, you know, I, I couldn't understand why all these parents were freaking out with their kids and stuff. I thought, I didn't have any kids. I said, this is awesome. This place is so magical. They're right. It's a magical. Have a magical day. Yes, I will. Thank you very much. 
<laughs> you know, when you get kids, you realize, you know what, you, get, you might need to get some more fairy dust and bring it over here because I need some more of that right now. This little one is, she hasn't had lunch yet. She's going crazy. But they have began to put on their networks on Disney+. Plus. They just come out with another one. It's called Loud and Proud. And it's targeted to a general audience. You, can, you cannot even stop it. You can't even stop it. And I'm not picking, like, I'm not trying to be, I'm just saying the world is trying to conform you. And where is it trying to conform you at? A small age. Which is why the Bible says to you, train up a child in the way that they should go so when they're old they won't depart from it. This is why you need to have an environment like this where your child gets to hear the word of God so it sees something to contrast the world with. If it doesn't have this or some kind of Bible-based environment, the world will conform your children. It's aggressively working towards it. And if you don't believe me, you think I'm, I'm like, look, I don't have a lot of gray hair. I got a few here and there. But I, I'm not some old fogey that's trying to be all like Bible thump you in the head. I'm just, I'm being very honest with you. It is your responsibility as parents to make sure that your children hear the truth, be honest with them, tell them the truth about the Bible. When they ask you questions about sex, don't hide from it. Tell them the truth. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you said the word sex. They're hearing it everywhere. Why are you not talking about it? My girls ask me questions, I tell them straight up. You do whatever you want to do. You do whatever you want to do. But I'm just telling you, hiding behind stuff, trying to be timid about it, don't want to talk about it. The world is conforming your children. So you got to stop it. And how are you going to do that? Paul says, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you might prove what the will of God is and do that which is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The only way you can combat the world and its ways is you have to renew this. And let's just be honest. A study was given, uh, this has been some time back, I think early 2000s, when a lot of church planning was taking place. A guy by the name of Billy Hornsby, he did a little quick math study. And he figured up the amount of time a person has to, to renew their mind. Or how much time they actually do renew their mind. They did a little study. They figured out that most people only get to see the words of God when they come to church. Therefore, he figured that up as, well, not everybody can make it every week. What about people when they go out of town? They go on vacation. They go on whatever. So he took out, well, let's say 10 weeks out of the year. So now we're down to 42 weeks. And he said the majority of people can't make Wednesday nights, so we take out Wednesday nights. So now we only have Sunday mornings. So let's say you have 42 Sunday mornings. And if the preacher does like me, which, you know, you kind of have to keep context of the time. We understand that. You're, you know, like somebody told us before, you know, the mind can only endure. I mean, the mind can only handle what the seat can endure. You know what I mean? You can only have so long before people go like, okay, preacher, I'm done. I get it. I get it. I get it. But let's say it's 30 minutes of just some good, straight preaching of the gospel. You have 30 minutes a week at 42 times out of the year. And then... Take aside the times when you're stressed out and you're not really hearing what the preacher is saying when you come to church. The chances are, if that's your methodology, you might have 30 Sundays out of the year where you're getting 30 minutes of Bible study. And you are fighting against a world that is giving you seven days a week, 24-7 garbage. Now, I ain't saying I don't enjoy... Look, I love race cars, I love fishing, I love outdoors, I love it all, okay? I'm not saying God don't want you to enjoy stuff. What I'm saying is 
the philosophies of this world, you have got to combat it with the renewing of your mind with Scripture, and it takes more than Sunday morning. So you'll never have the blessing of God with an unrenewed mind, and you can't expect God to give you more insight if we don't understand the basics. So I referred to Plato earlier. I'm going to read you an excerpt. The study of Plato, so what the world is calling the soul right now is they, t- they took from the studies of Plato, which, by the way, I think is, is, is hilarious. If you, I, I wish I had the time. I wish I would brought the, the chart. Maybe I'll bring it for you next week or so. I'll just do that. But um, if you study the, the writings of Plato, how many copies there are verifiable of Plato, they pale in comparison to the amount of copies of handwritten notes for the Bible that match perfectly, that match perfectly over thousands of years of time but yet we value the words of Plato more than we do the words of God. And from a standpoint of manuscript authority, they don't have near the authority backing them as the word of God. But Plato gets his place in Harvard. But well, by, let's don't dare open the Bible because we'll offend people. <laughs> no, it's because they don't want to hear it is what it is. So this is where they get this thinking from. So this is, they take a little bit of Plato and they talk about the immorality of the soul. Human beings seem to always have had this, and this is from Britannica, by the way. This is not Wikipedia. This is Britannica. This is verified writings of Plato, Aristotle, and some others. It says this, that some have this notion of a shadowy double that survives the death of the body. But the idea of the soul as a mental entity with intellectual and moral qualities interacting with a physical organism, but capable of continuing after its dissolution, it derives in Western thought from Plato, and it... This is what I think is funny. It derives from Western thought from Plato, and then it entered Judaism before the Common Era. Think about that logic there they just said. Anyway, in Jewish and Christian thinking, it, is, it, it has existed in tension with the idea of the resurrection of the person conceived as the indissoluble psychophysical unity. A lot of words there. Christian thought gradually settled into a pattern that required both of these apparently divergent ideas. At death, watch the words they use. The soul is separated from the body and exists in a conscious or unconscious disembodied state. Now, this is Britannica. What happens when you die? What is going to heaven? It is your what? It's not your soul. Do you see the problem here already? But on the day of future day of judgment, souls, again, not it should be spirit, but they're saying souls will be re-embodied, whether in their former or now transfigured earthly bodies or in a new resurrection bodies, and they'll live eternally in the heavenly kingdom. This is what they say. Within this framework, philosophical discussion has centered mainly on the idea of the immaterial soul and its capacity to survive the death of the body. Plato and the Fedo, I guess how you say that, argued that the soul is inherently indestructible. Do you see the problem with the word soul here? He says that the soul is inherently indestructible. Remember something that Jesus said somewhere in the Gospels? He said something like, uh, you know, you fear them people over there and you fear this over here. Better you ought to fear God, who's able to destroy both what? Uh Uh-huh. That's from Jesus in red. They say, you know, the soul is indestructible. To destroy something, including the body, is to disintegrate it into its constituent elements. But the soul, now he refers to the soul, though, as a mental entity. 
is not composed of parts and thus an indissoluble unity. Although Aquinas' concept of the soul as the form of the body was derived from Aristotle rather than Plato, Aquinas too argued for its indestructibility. This was summarized by, forgive me if I can't pronounce his, his name, but the French philosopher Jacques Marchion. That's how you said it, I don't know. Did the best I could do there for you, you know, moi. A modern Thomas, he summarized the conclusion as follows. This is his summarization of Plato, Aristotle, and, and all these bright people. A spiritual soul, again, a spiritual soul. They're just so afraid to use the word spirit. Just, we just can't do it. If we dare say spirit, we have to give it to all these Christians. We just can't do it. So a spiritual soul cannot be corrupted. Now, if you're, this gets very tricky, right? Because you're saying that a soul can't be corrupted. I could tell you right now, Jesus said, out of what? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And out of that comes all kinds of evil and adulterous thinking. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Because when he said heart, he, he's, he, he's referring to the stuff that's going up here. You've got to watch the terms I'll share with you in a moment. But he says this anyway, a spiritual soul cannot be corrupted since it possesses no matter it cannot be disintegrated since it has no substantial parts. It cannot lose its individual unity since it is self-subsisting, nor its internal energy since it contains within itself all the sources of energy. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and the problem with all of this is the world believes it. They believe more in what Plato and Aristotle say than they do in what the Word says. Now, If you watch the, the movie Soul, you'll see some interesting things. I encourage you just to watch it. Watch and see how weird it is. It's a funny movie. It's, nothing, it's not going to be like, you know, it's not demons coming out of your TV and attacking you. It's a funny movie. It's good. It's a funny movie. But just watch the oddness of the thinking. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 1230. <clears throat> because sometimes, uh, I'll read this to you, I want you and think about this phrase. Mark 1230. And, they, and Jesus is referencing this out of Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5. He says, and you shall love the Lord your God. Well, watch this. This is Jesus Christ, the Savior who shed his blood for you. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your what? Heart. With all of your soul. With all of your mind. And with all of your strength. Now, Jesus used four parts. And the reason he did this is because he was dealing with majority of their time, some very philosophical issues and some things going on. But if you want to break it down the best way possible, when he says you love the Lord with all of your heart, it's the word cardia. It is, that would be referring to your spirit. In this context, he is referring to your spirit. When he says the word soul, he's referring to your psyche. It's the word psyche. I'm actually giving you the Greek words here. Psyche. It is your, your, your psychological, your emotions, if you will. Okay. Then he says to love your God with all of your mind. That is your intellect. That means use your mind for the good of Christ. Take advantage of that. Be smart. Be wise. Read stuff. Learn things. Use your mind for the glory of God. And then he says, with all of your strength, obviously, it's your body. It's, it, and the mind is the word dianoia, and the, and the strength is the word ischus. It, they're all Greek words. There are four different Greek words there. And Jesus did this to say... You are not a one-part being. You are a three-part being. And you can put mind, as far as intellect, 
is part of the soul as far as the mind, will, and emotions. It all is wrapped together, but Jesus just separated them for, for explanation purposes. But here's what I want to say about reading this to you. Too many times, this is not easy, but in the Bible, the heart can be exchanged for both soul and spirit. This is why you have to renew your mind with God's Word. If you read your Bible and you see things like in James where it says, Receive the engrafted Word, and you keep reading, it says, "Even Receive this Word even unto the saving of your souls. He's not referring to your spirit. If you receive the Word of God, it's a renewing of the mind. The Word of God can save your mind, your will, and your emotions. You you're saved by the blood of Jesus. Now, I'm going to say this and don't get offended. You are not saved by the word of God. It's very important to hear that because a lot of people know a lot of word and they don't have a lot of blood applied. There's a big difference. You are saved by the blood of Jesus. That is it. Sign, sealed, delivered, baby. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, play that song over and over if you want to. It's, it's done. But your mind has to be renewed. I'm going to read one more verse to you as we wrap up today to conclude this, this context of the soul and why it's so important. <clears throat> and I, I'm going to say this before I read Hebrews. I can turn to Hebrews 4, and I, I, I want to make sure that you hear my heart on this, okay? I am not making this a technicality. I'm not trying to split hairs over anything. I'm making it a biblical matter. This is a biblical teaching. This is not a Jody thing. He's trying to split hairs on. I'm not trying to be over technical. I'm telling you, this is Bible. You are a spirit. You got a soul and you live in a body. It's as clear throughout the scriptures as you can be. But the world does not want to agree with that. Because if they have to agree with the spirit, then they have to agree that it has to be redeemed. And you have to redeem the spirit, then you got to talk about Jesus. And if you got to talk about Jesus, now you got to deal with the blood. And if you got to deal with the blood, we can change the AD to CE, you know, whatever AE, whatever you want to call it. There ain't no other man ever lived on this planet that stopped the clock and reset it. They don't want to do that. So we need to know this. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to read through these, these first part here kind of quick, but I'm going to um, <clears throat> give you some key words here, okay? So in this first part is referring to salvation. He says, therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering into his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Was he referring to salvation? For indeed, we have had good news preached to us. That proves it's salvation. Just as they have also, but the word that they heard did not profit them. Why did it not profit them? Because it was not unified or united with faith in those who heard. Isn't it true? You can hear the word and not be saved. You can hear the gospel and never accept Jesus Christ. You can hear and never receive. So that's what he's talking about, salvation. He says, verse 3, For we who have believed, we have entered into that rest. Thanks be to God, right? Just as he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. He's referring to some things in the Old Testament. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere, and this is what I love about Paul. I, I'm assuming it's Paul. But I love the fact he went all preacher with you right there. He forgot where the verse was, so he just said, it said somewhere in the Bible, I know it's somewhere in there, but um, concerning the seventh day, <laughs> it's, like, it's in Genesis. How'd you forget that, man? I'm just glad to know there's one thing I got on Paul right there, just to say, you know what, you got some good writings and you was a great preacher, but you, you just forgot Genesis, didn't you, man? It makes us feel pretty good. He said, anyway, concerning the seventh day, 
Watch this. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter into my rest. Verse 6. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter and for those who formerly had good news preached to them, they failed to enter because of disobedience. In other words, you can hear it and not receive it. He's still talking about salvation being a rest. He says, he fixes again on a certain day. Today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as it's been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This is why Paul would say, today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your hearts against the voice of the Holy Spirit and the voice of the Lord to your life. And it's not to scare you at all, but you are not promised another day on this earth. Why would you wait? But he says, for if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken about another day of rest. So, verse 9, talking to unbelievers, he's saying, listen, You've got to get this. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter into that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Now, I read that to you because he's about to switch gears with you. That was all talking about being born again in salvation. There is a rest Oh my goodness. I've never been threatened with my life or my faith. And I hope I never have to deal with that. But you cannot explain the numbers of Christians who are willing to stand before a rifle, stand before a beheading, stand before the lions at the gate in the tournaments of Rome, and not deny Jesus when given the opportunity. There is now therefore a rest that's in salvation that supersedes any rational thinking you can actually come by. There is a rest in Jesus. When you're saved, I know the world's going crazy right now, but listen, there is a rest in Jesus. It's such a peaceful thing to just stop for a moment and remember, you know what, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved, man. Born again believer. Come what may. Blessing without. Come what may, I'm still. I know one thing. I'm in his hands. And I may not make it here, but I know where I'm going. There's a rest for the people of God. But now he switches gears. Watch this. He's going to flip over to the soul. And please take this and hear what I'm saying to you and don't. Don't rise up on the inside and be like, well, that's not what he's talking about. Look, I study a lot. I know what I'm talking about here. I'm not bragging, but I know what I'm talking about right here when I tell you this, okay? You go study if you want to, but just don't argue with me in your seat right now. Just listen and then go look at it later, okay? All right. As he continues on, let me put this on the screen for you in verse 12. All right. I did this so you could see these highlights. It says, for the word of God is living, and it is active, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces as far as, watch this, the division of the soul and the spirit. He is no longer talking about salvation at this moment. He just switched gears on us, and you might not have realized it, but it divides both the soul and the spirit of both the joints and the marrow. Now, 
The joints, you know what that is. You've been in stuff, whatever. But you know the marrow inside your bones. That's where there's actually blood in there. And the scriptures declare that, that the life's in the blood. Your bones have blood even in them. So he goes on and says, it divides even both the joints and the marrow and is able to judge both the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. One who has been tempted in all things just like us. You don't think Jesus wasn't tempted? Go read again the account in the garden. Was he tempted in his spirit? No. Where was he tempted at? He said, my soul, I am crushed. To the point of even death. He had a medical condition, was so overwhelming strength, he bled drops of blood. Not from pain inflicted, but from anxiety in his soul, in his mind, in his emotions. He knows what it's like to be tempted beyond a measure. But yet he did it without sin. Therefore then, watch this. This is so beautiful. Therefore then. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. So we might receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Let me ask you a question. When you draw near to the throne of grace, what part of you as a born-again believer has the authority and the right to step into the throne room of God? It's your spirit. Your body sure doesn't. But I think your body does. Your body is... Nowhere yet near able to do that. Nor can your soul. Because the thoughts and tents of the mind sometimes aren't the best place, are they? They're just not. Your spirit is the only part of you that's redeemed. And it has the authority to come boldly before the throne of grace. Your brain might say, what are you doing? Your body says, I'm scared. But your spirit says, based on the Bible, I got access to God. So here we go. Get in line. Get in line. I'm so scared. Uh, no, yeah, but what part is the real you? But then he says, watch what happens. He says, so your spirit has the authority to come in to the throne of grace. <laughs> I love this. But then we get to receive what? Mercy. Does your spirit need mercy? No. Your spirit's just sitting around going like, I can't wait for Sunday, man, so you can just get to church. Because I love Sunday. Your spirit's like, whoo. Yeah, man, we're going to worship Jesus, hear about Jesus. I'm ready to pray for some people. Your spirit's fired up. Now your soul says, I don't want to get up. Your body says, I'm hungry. I didn't get coffee. I got no caffeine. I can't worship today. Your spirit says, we don't need caffeine. I got more than I need on this. I got the Holy Spirit, man. I can worship without Java. Let's go. But your body says what? No. Your mind says, I don't think we're worthy. And they will dominate you. If you don't listen to the Spirit. So what does God say? If you'll come th- boldly for the throne of grace, you might receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Man, I love this. I love this. I love this. I love this. So here's my thing to you this morning. 
if you're struggling when we come to worship, can I just encourage you right now, if you're a born-again believer, tell your mind, mind, soul, emotions, I know you're scared, I know you're worried, I know we made mistakes last week, and I know I'm not a perfect person, but you don't have the authority to come into the throne of grace. You in the back seat today. The Spirit's in charge, so we're going into worship. And then you can say to your mind and your body and everything, say, listen though, but when we get in there, the Lord will help you too. You'll get to receive some grace. You'll get to receive some mercy when we go in there. But you have to trust me. I mean, it sounds crazy, don't it? It sounds crazy you talk like that. But let me just say something. Do you ever talk to yourself? Raise your hand if you know you're telling the truth. If you don't raise your hand, you're lying in church right now. You know you talk to yourself. You come in right now. Like, well, I don't know if he, well, Pastor, he said that, but I don't know. I'm going to go look it up when I get home. You're doing it right now. We all do it. So spirit first, put them other two where they belong, all right? This morning, I think I have uh, uh, these two questions for you here. As you can see, you can take a snapshot of that. We kind of already answered them for you. But think about that as you go forward this week. What part of you really needs the grace? My spirit really doesn't need grace. It really doesn't. So what do you mean? He has already given me every spiritual blessing. Ephesians tells me this. He has given me every spiritual blessing in heaven and earth. I have been poured out upon abundantly spiritually. He has been giving me the Holy Spirit. I don't need anything else spiritually when it comes to my needs, if you will. I have to read God's word, but I'm doing that most of the time just to renew my mind. Feeding my spirit off God's word. But where do I really need grace from? To deal with this world. And most of the time, that's in your emotions. Your mind. It's the worries, the cares, the frustrations. Man, what are we going to do next? What's happening next? I don't understand all this. That's where you need your mercy. That's where you need your grace. So maybe you're here this morning and you feel a bit overwhelmed with all that's going on. Maybe, just maybe, you're sitting there thinking, well, how can God speak to me? How can God use me when I have all of this on me? Can I just encourage you this morning? You're not the only one. You're not. I have been concerned about this for some time, that once everything's sorted out, and all this pandemic stuff's over, and we start having to try some kind of a life again, that there was going to be an overwhelming amount of mental health issues, of emotions, and, and other things from the soul. Because we many of us have never dealt with something like this before. And so right now, I want to pray for you as we go through this series... My prayer is that through this series, the Holy Spirit is going to lift off of you what's holding you, weighting you down, and he's going to revive you in your soul. And I'm going to give you other scriptures and things later, starting next week, but there is more about the soul in the Bible than you probably realize. So let me pray for you right now. Would you just close your eyes and and bow your head right where you are? I just really feel I'm going to pray this over you. 
And I don't know who you are, where you are, but I just feel like in this room right now, I just feel like the, the Holy Spirit just really, really wants you to know this. That He created your spirit to worship God. He renewed you. He caused you to become born again so that you have connection with Him. He did not create you to bear the burdens of this world. And I get it, believe me, I, I got my own stuff that I carry and I have to give it to God all the time. But I really feel like he wants me to pray for you and I really feel like right now that there's some of you in here, <clears throat> you really need to just give this to the Lord. It doesn't mean you don't have your part to play, maybe you got to work out some stuff, maybe you got some things to do, but the, the part that you can't handle, it's that part that you have no, no ability to determine the outcome of it that's just overwhelming. So right where you are, would you just take a moment just and close your eyes. Just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, I come to you today and I just, Lord, I just, I just sense it in the room. I sense, Lord, and I know you do, Holy Spirit. Just the, the weightiness. Maybe, maybe it's fear. I don't know, Lord. It could be anxiety, but it's weighty. It's just a, Stuff that we all deal with, God. And Lord, I just pray right now by the Holy Spirit, would you just lift that off of people's lives? God, lift up the, the anxieties, lift off the burdens, lift off the, the cares, Lord. I just feel like there's a lot of care. Just stuff that we can't, we can't even fix, God. I'm, Lord, we're praying for people overseas, and I'm praying for all the stuff that's going on, Lord, but... At some point, I've got to close my eyes and I and turn it to you and say, God, I'm not in control. I'm praying like you told me to, and I'm giving this to you, but I'm not in control. I can't fix this. And so Lord, I pray that you lift right now that, that, that thing that's in there that somebody has, or maybe I think it's quite a few, carrying stuff they should never carry. Lord, would you remove it now by the Holy Spirit? And would you do only what you can do? Will you do what your word says? And would you give us the peace of God that passes all understanding, that surpasses our thoughts, surpasses our cares and our worries? Oh, Lord, the peace of God that just causes us to walk in and out and worship you. And people wonder what's wrong with us. And we can't even explain it ourselves because it's peace that passes our ability to comprehend. Lord, I pray you fill hearts with peace right now in Jesus' name. Hearts of peace in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray right now if there's anybody in here that doesn't know you or they're watching online, they don't, they don't know you've never received Christ, I pray right now for them. While your eyes are closed and no one's looking around, just want to pray for you. If you're here and you say you've never accepted Jesus before in your life, maybe it's, I'm talking about this and you're saying, man, I, I've come to church, but I've never thought about my spirit needing to be born again. You're watching online and you say, I don't, I don't know. I want to pray for you. This whole church is going to pray with you right now. But the scriptures say, for the heart believes, but confession is made into salvation. You believe with your heart or your spirit. You know that there is a need for Jesus Christ. You know that you need a Savior. And you know that without Jesus, you are empty and void of life. So right now, this 
whole church is going to pray with you, but you need to pray this out loud with us so that your own ears are hearing this. Just repeat this after me and say, Dear Jesus, I come to you today and I give you my life. And I believe in my heart that you are the Lord. You are the Savior of the world. You died for me and you rose again for me. And you shed your blood for me. And I receive today the precious gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, I make you the Lord of my life. Amen and amen and amen. Man, would you give them a hand, would you please, right now? If they pray that prayer. <clears throat> so proud of you. If you're watching online, right on your screen, I think it's at the bottom of your screen maybe. But we have some pastors online right now that love to help you get started walking with Christ. If you'll let them know how hey, I just prayed that prayer, they'll send you some information. They'll get in touch with you to help you get started walking with Christ. We just want to help you become a disciple of Jesus. Same for everyone in this room. If you prayed that prayer, it's on the screen right there for you, connect.cornerstonerealm.com. We just want to help you get started walking with Christ. And if you need prayer, you want to talk about some things or whatever, that same form, you can just do this, fill it out. Send it to us. We'll have a pastor contact you and help you in any way we possibly can. So at the end of church here, if you don't mind standing, I'd love to declare this over you before you go. At the end of church, we'll have prayer teams down front. I'm doing better. These guys are helping me remember this. But we have prayer teams down here. They'd love to pray with you. Maybe you're here and you have something specific. You need someone to agree with you in prayer. prayer. Our prayer teams, if you don't mind coming down front for me, make your way down front, guys. It's on the prayer team. That way... That way they can, uh, you can get down there before they run out and uh, run over you. It's like a stampede sometimes, man, you know what I mean? But these guys, are one of, they're here. Now, now, they would love to pray with you. Some of these folks are our elders, some are prayer leaders in our church. But they would love to pray with you. And they're not scary people, look at them. They're, they're wonderful people. They're sweet. I mean, they're, they pray for me all the time, thank God for it. Uh, but if you need prayer, please don't ever leave here with a burden. If I preach something and, I talk, and, it, and you're still carrying something, please don't leave. I mean, God doesn't want you to go, those doors carrying whatever you came in with, come see one of these individuals. Let them pray with you. Okay, there is power in prayer. All right, so before we go, let me just speak this over here out of Numbers chapter 6 and verse 24. The Lord said to bless the people with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, and may he give you his peace. In Jesus' name, God bless you guys. You're dismissed. If today's message blessed you, we want to encourage you to take a moment and share this podcast with a friend. Remember, there's one hope for every heart, and that's Jesus. See you next time.